You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So really quick context, before coming to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 16, Paul started the church in Philippi. And in Philippi, he was oppressed and imprisoned, but escaped and came to Thessalonica where he started this church to the Thessalonians. There, the message of Jesus turns the city upside down and creates chaos, so they leave quickly. But since then, the church has flourished under oppression. Yet, that oppression continues, and the reputation of the leaders has been threatened. Not only their reputation, but the Thessalonians are under attack and threat from Jewish oppression. So this is why in chapter 2, Paul is going to remind them of his conduct and ministry with Timothy and Silas in Thessalonica. We're going to see a graceful defense and reminder of their noble and bold ministry. And as the Thessalonians read it, they say, yeah, I remember all this, how Paul and Silas and Timothy were, were noble and faithful and integrous among us and worthy of imitation. They taught us the gospel in the midst of all the oppression that they had um, fought against. And all of that said, that's not what's primarily going on here. It's really important context, but because this is the word of God, this is now a primary list of, uh, or this is now primarily a list of instruction teaching them and now us how to conduct ourselves in ministry as we display our faith to the nations. And second, it's for encouragement in the gospel of Jesus. We're supposed to be encouraged by this reading of scripture. Paul didn't want them only to remember the truth about his conduct among them. He wants to lead them in instruction and conduct worthy of imitation. And he's saying, follow us as we follow Jesus. So before we get into the meat of this instruction, I'll say this. We live in a time where the church in the West is riddled with pastoral and ministerial failure, where pastoral abuse is common where pastors abuse their calling and in turn these pastors and leaders abuse their people and therefore many are hurt in real tangible ways and the gospel proclamation as a result is hurt and i want you to see that so much is at stake in this high call to minister with faithfulness and so much harm is done when ministers neglect to pursue the marks of ministry found in these verses and just throughout the bible so for the pastors or deacons of the room, there, uh, I'm going to go through eight marks of noble ministry that Paul gives us as an example worthy of imitation. And if you're not a leader, quote unquote, in the room, I'd say that first, you probably are a leader. You just don't have the uh, the skill yet to kind of see how you're leading. But, but two, you are called to lead in ministry. What is your ministry? Well, at Sojourn Montrose, and, and really just as the global church, we were all given a call into ministry to make disciples. It's Matthew 26. It's the Great Commission. All of us are given this. And so whether or not you are in formal ministry or vocational ministry, you are in ministry. And the way our ministry together manifests most primarily is this. We make disciples of Jesus. So as we follow Jesus together, here are eight things that in these verses we are shown mark noble, faithful, honorable, selfless, and effective ministry, or you can sub in the word discipleship, disciple-making. Feel free to keep your Bible open as we go through the text, and if you're a note-taker, you're looking for eight markers here. The first mark is this, ministry that is gospel-centered, centered on the gospel, verses 1 and 2. It says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. They had been oppressed, treated shamefully, and yet Paul says in verse 1 that none of that was in vain because the good news of Jesus was declared. Christ was made known. His righteous life was made known. His sacrificial death was proclaimed. 
His resurrection, which enables those who follow him to resurrect as well, was proclaimed. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which saves people from wrath and judgment, these things were proclaimed in Thessalonica. So first, we should emulate this by having ministries that are gospel-centric, that boldly center around gospel proclamation. That's the core of our ministry as individuals and collectively. You've said this for a while. How do we make disciples? A simple formula we use is this at Sojourn. We build relationships. We bring those people with whom we built relationship with into community, and then we share the gospel. But if we only do the first two, if we only build relationships and bring those relationships into community, we have done just what country clubs do. Country club members build relationships with people and invite them to join the country club. If we don't be bold in gospel proclamation, then we have failed to make disciples. And I'd argue if we only do the third thing, if we only share the gospel, then we have been faithful. And a natural outpouring or or working out of a shared gospel is that we'll grow deeper in relationship and we'll invite into community. Those things just naturally flow from those who are shared the gospel in a way that saves. So gospel proclamation is critical. The other two are very important. Relationships are very important. Community is very important. But boldly declaring the gospel is key to ministry. So the first mark of the gospel message is central. This gospel message is central. Mark 2, we can't be motivated by anything other than God's pleasure. Hear this, verse 3 uh, through six. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So we speak not to please man, but to please God. There's no attempt to deceive anyone, nor is there any ounce of desire in our honorable ministry to please people. So as we share the gospel boldly, we can't have the goal, even secondarily, to have people be pleased with us, even though we hope that they would be pleased with the gospel presentation. Our goal can't be to avoid offending people. If our singular motivation is God's pleasure, then I'd argue that we're going to be more gracious and more bold and more loving and more clear with the call of the gospel presentation and our conviction to share the gospel. We are honest with people. We're loving with people with the gospel. We don't come to flatter people. We work to please God, knowing that some will not be pleased with the truth of Jesus, but God will be pleased. So our motivation is divine, not earthly. As we make disciples, we proclaim the gospel boldly, and we seek to please God, not man. And what I'm not saying is that we should intentionally go out of our way to upset those with whom we share the gospel. Which brings me to Mark 3, ministry that is gentle. Just verse 7, listen to this. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What a picture of gentleness. Nursing mothers are tired, but they don't get angry at the baby for needing a bottle or a diaper change. This is the gig they press into the messiness of babies. People, likewise, people are messy. We don't act harshly or impatient with those who are new in their faith. We're gentle. We don't act harshly or impatient with each other. We're gentle. Ministry that is gospel-centered, God, God's pleasure as the motivation will be bold, but it'll also be boldly gentle. And because it's gentle, we have the fourth mark. It's also deeply personal. 
verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul and Timothy and Silas loved the people of Thessalonica. This love is most profoundly manifested in their sharing of the gospel with the people. But, he says, it didn't end there. They share the gospel and then they go on to sacrifice their whole selves. They pour themselves out fully for the people. They share their whole lives. Familial language is all over this text, which is why familial language should be all over the church. Do we love each other? Do we love those with whom we seek to disciple? Do we stop after we share the gospel or do we go further and share our whole lives? Do we open our homes? Do we open our wallets? Do we open our very souls to one another and with those whom we seek to disciple into faith? Do you feel the call of this type of ministry growing? The character required to be faithful in these callings is incredible. Not only character is required though, hard work is required, which is the fifth mark of ministry. Verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. In their ministry, they worked hard. In fact, Paul and Silas and Timothy worked so hard that they didn't require any salary or food or lodging. They didn't want to be a burden on the new and young church in Thessalonica. And as they made disciples, they worked really hard to do it. Oh, that we would, would not be a people accused of being lazy, but instead would we be, be a people who, yes, set boundaries, yes, plan for rest, yes, take nights to ourselves, but, but we work hard to be there for people. We work hard to show up. We work hard to serve them. We sacrifice to proclaim to people the gospel, to build relationships with people in which we can share the gospel. It's hard work to do this, especially when we don't see immediate results, especially when we're not praised for doing so. The call to work is heavy. The call to character is heavy. There is weight here. And hear this, there's more weight. The sixth mark of ministry is that we would have miraculous integrity. Verse 10, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless with our conduct toward you believers. What integrity? Can we say that we are holy? Can we say that we are righteous? Can we say that we are blameless? I hope you feel the tension of this call. Of course we are not perfect. Of course we will stumble. But we strive to imitate Christ and walk in the holiness, the righteousness, and the blamelessness that he purchased for us through his death on the cross. We have been freed from sin in order to walk in these things. Can we say this about ourselves? That we are holy, that we are righteous, that we are blameless in our ministry. There's a call to introspection here. Can we say this today? Will we be able to say it in 10 years, in 20 years? The call is weighty. And as we do these things... The seventh mark is this, we're to usher toward maturity one another. Verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We already talked about the gentleness of a mother in our ministry. Paul uses this language that even 2,000 years ago gives us a really clear picture of discipleship. Like mothers tend towards gentleness, we disciple. And like fathers tend towards exhortation, which is different than encouragement, right? Ex- encouragement is, is you're doing great, keep going. You're doing great. Exhortation is you're doing great, keep going. Here's how to tweak yourself along the way. Here's how to do better. Here's how to think about discipleship in deeper ways. Here's how to change and correct. It doesn't mean that fathers aren't gentle. It doesn't mean that mothers don't encourage, but like a good father, we teach, we exhort, we encourage, we dis- and we discipline as we disciple, right? Disciple, the root word of discipline is disciple. We encourage each other and new disciples to walk in the worthiness that has been bought for us by Christ. 
the wisdom is to know the difference with people, right? Like babies don't need a stern talking to. Teenagers don't need to nurse on milk, right? We need to know the difference between when a brother or sister or new believer or unbeliever needs uh, gentleness like a mother or encouragement and exhortation like a father. Some people need to just be told, hey, like, I see you. Thank you for confessing that sin. You need to know right now that you are forgiven. You are known and forgiven, that level of gentleness and grace. And sometimes we need to sit with brothers or sisters and say, hey, like, I know you've been struggling with this sin. I know you made a bad decision this week. You need to figure out ways. Let's work on it together that we can do better, that we can walk in freedom from sin, that we can turn from this and turn towards holiness. How can we do this together? Let's figure it out. Let's not leave the room until we do. That's that's the different, like, how do we know that who we're walking with in parish, in renewal group, in our lives as unbelievers, what do they need? That's discernment, knowing do they need a motherly touch or a fatherly touch? And by the way, I've never met anyone who has been too encouraged lately. We need to encourage, we need to correct, we need to exhort like good fathers. We need to be liberal with our encouragement. And we need to be gentle like good mothers. So as we do both, the eighth mark is this, we will raise up leaders and send them. 13, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as not the word of men, but as for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. In gratitude, we acknowledge this, the word of God is at work in the people of sojourn. It was at work in people. It's not up to one man or one discipleship track or all those things are really helpful, but what is at work in us is the word of God through the Holy Spirit of God. And as those things are at work in us, we will grow up into our faith and not only imitate those who are mature around us, but we'll be worthy of imitation ourselves. The Thessalonians grew up in their faith and the word took root in them, the word of God, not the word of any man, to such an extent that not only did they begin to imitate Jesus, they became worthy of imitation theirself in the whole region. So there you have it, eight marks of noble, honorable, faithful, and effective ministry. And maybe you're encouraged, maybe you're discouraged, maybe you're a mix. I tend to be in the mixed category when faced with a list. Like we are often given of just these moral character reminders from the Bible. And in some ways I hear how Paul's ministry was among the Thessalonians. And I think I want to grow into it. I'm encouraged. I want to fight to do ministry like this always, not only vocationally, but everyday disciple-making, gospel-sharing ministry that's bold and gentle and encouraging and hard work. And other times, even even this week, I read this and sit with it and feel like, man, the call is just way too high, which of course it is. And I didn't spend a lot of time on it, time on it but verse 14, 15, and 16 in with this kind of weighty reminder against, um, against what we face, right? The Thessalonians faced Jewish oppression. And remember, Paul was Jewish. The Thessalonians are largely Jewish, but he's saying in these verses that those Jewish men who want to um, oppress you and kill you, they're the same moral hypocrites that killed Jesus, and they don't want the gospel to be shared with the nations. They don't want the gospel to go to the Gentiles. They want you to fail, and ultimately they want you to die because they want to snuff out this whole movement. Um, and, and feel free to reach out to me about what Paul is specifically talking about here. I do have some opinions on that, and I can point you towards some resources, but the general message is this. Paul reminds them, you're going to face oppression, but justice belongs to the Lord. Expect oppression, 
leave vengeance and justice with God. And he's telling the Thessalonians and us that when ministry is hard, when oppression mounts against them culturally or physically, whatever it may be, when oppression is there, continue to be faithful. Continue to preach the gospel boldly. Continue to fight for God's pleasure, not man's. Continue to be gentle like a mother in your proclamation. Be exhorting like a father in your proclamation. Remember that the work is personal, so it will hurt, but work very hard. And as you do all of this, be holy, be righteous, be blameless. And as you do this, you imitate Jesus. Others will grow into their faith, and they will be worthy of imitation themselves. In light of a very hulk. Uh, a, a very high calling of character, a reminder of the gospel is appropriate. Jesus embodied this type of ministry on earth perfectly. In all of these eight ways, he, he embodied them perfectly. Like, who has poured out their very lives for us more than Jesus? For those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior and King, his perfection is ultimately applied to you and me. And in dying, he died for our imperfection. But not only did he die for the ways that we missed the mark, he died for those incidents where we actively choose to walk in unrighteousness, where we choose to walk in unholiness, where the blame is just fully ours. And in his rising, our eternal station is secure. He gives us his Holy Spirit. Why? So that we might walk in a manner worthy of God, as verse 12 says, which means that we have been bought and freed from sin by God in Christ to walk in holiness, to walk in righteousness, to walk in blamelessness, to walk in integrity as we labor and as we minister for God by proclaiming his gospel with gentleness and exhortation. So we can walk in new life. We can walk in this honorable type of ministry together as we boldly make disciples of those in our lives. We can do this together. Remember each other or or remind each other rather of the very, very high calling that is required for ministry and remind each other of the very, very wide arms of Christ for those who stumble and fail. At Sojourn, we take the call to, to integrous, faithful, noble ministry. We take this call incredibly seriously. And we take the call of grace. We take grace found in the arms of Jesus Christ more seriously. We take grace very, very seriously here. So as we remember this grace and we're renewed and nourished for ministry on Sundays and in parish gatherings and in renewal group, and particularly as we come to the table in just a few moments, remember that he poured himself out for us in his blood and by his body and his life. We remember this. We're encouraged. We're exhorted. We're gentle with each other, and we work very hard, but we rest in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we invite you to work on us this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to um, minister to us this morning. We invite you to call us into the high, high, worthy, noble calling that is ministry and disciple-making, and we rest on the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. We thank you that Um, Our failure or success in this realm of ministry is not what uh, saves us, that your work has saved us. And so as we come to the table, we rest in you. We love you, Lord. We bless you. Would you be near to us? In your name we pray. Amen.